Today we reach the crux, pretty much, of of Mark's gospel, and a big turning point happens right in the middle. Of course, in the beginning of this gospel passage, we have Jesus asking the question, who do people say that I am? And they respond, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the, the prophets. Remember, everyone that they're saying there are dead. And so they think maybe people think, well, maybe he's coming back, right? He's a reincarnation of John the Baptist or Elijah. But Jesus asked a very important question. But who do you say that I am? Not who do they say, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who speaks for the apostles, and this is kind of a common occurrence, Peter speaking. But in Mark's gospel, it's very succinct. Peter simply says, you are the Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to be the Christ? Well, we could interpret that, uh, Christo, uh, to be you are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. In other gospel accounts, because this is in Matthew as well, by the way, kind of the same exact story, but Matthew has it go a little longer It's Matthew, and when this happens, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ in itself is good enough. You are the anointed one, which means you are the long-awaited Savior. You are the one who is going to come into, came into this world. You are with us. You are the Christ. You are God, and you have come into this world to bring us, well, to bring us this restored kingdom of Israel is what Peter is thinking. But immediately, we see this change in Mark's gospel. First, Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this, right? Don't tell them about him, about Jesus. And they get to teach them. And this is what he taught them. That the Son of Man, that Christ, must suffer greatly. And be rejected by the elders chief priest and the scribes and be killed and rise after three days. This doesn't shock us, but for Peter and the apostles, this wouldn't make any sense at all. None. And so what does Peter do? He takes Jesus aside, and he tries to rebuke him. He takes him aside, and we we can imagine that maybe it went something like this. Hey, Jesus, I think think you're a little off there. You know, why are you going to suffer? Why why are you going to be rejected? Why are you going to be killed? You are the one who can, well, you can change water into wine. You, you heal people without even being in their presence. You, you feed 5,000 men with five loaves and, and two fish. You, you can prevent this suffering. You, you can do miracles. That's one way it could have gone. But in reality, what Peter probably did to rebuke him was something like this. Jesus, that can't happen. 
That's not what I signed up for. You are the Christ. You're supposed to go into Jerusalem, this triumphant, and we're supposed to have this, this new kingdom. This is supposed to be what's supposed to happen. And so Peter starts to argue with God. By the way, we do as well. So often in our prayer, what do we do? When we start talking to God, we go, God, let me tell you how it's going to be. This is how I want it to be. And as we know, when we start to do that, we're never going to win. Why? Well, first off, we're not God, praise God, right? But also because God has a better plan for us. And if we start to try to rebuke God, if we start to say, no, my will be done, not your will, we're going to be put in a really bad place. And so what does Jesus do with Peter, by the way? He rebukes the rebuker, right? He rebukes him. And he says something very profound here. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Another interpretation here would be, get behind me, you're an adversary to me. But that line right there, by the way, this is a side note, should be part of our repertoire. Now, I don't want you to say it to other people. That would probably not be a good idea, right? But when temptations start arising in our mind, or we're tempted in some way, get behind me, Satan. If Jesus had to say it, how much more do we have to say it, by the way, especially in our minds sometimes. And then Jesus says, you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. We have to realize this. We, we think as human beings, we, we think uh, so easily of, of worldly things. And this is what Peter is doing. He's thinking of an earthly kingdom. He's thinking of a restoration of, of Israel. Remember, Israel at this time is kind of being you know, occupied essentially by, by, by the Romans. The, the Jewish religion is falling, falling apart. All this is happening. And so Peter is thinking, well, Jesus is coming because he's, you know, he's Christ. He's the anointed one. He's here to save the promised people. But Jesus is so much more than this saving the promised people. Jesus is here to save all of us. And not just in an earthly kingdom, but in an eternal kingdom. One where there is no more death where we have life forever. And so then Jesus goes on to say, this passage from, from, from Mark chapter 8, and by the way, this is what St. John of the Cross would say would be the highest point of spirituality. If we can get to this point in our life of living this type of spirituality, then we found the most perfect way. Jesus says, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. To follow Christ, to come after Christ, to live as a Christian does not only mean that we believe in Christ, 
but that we act like Christ, that we deny ourselves, that we take up our cross and we follow God. And if we try to save our life in this, in this world, if we only live for earthly things, we're going to lose out on eternal life. We know that this world, that in our life, we are going to experience suffering. Part of suffering, by the way, is going to be death. That we know that eventually we are going to die. Now, yes, Jesus can come again in that second coming, but even then, in, in that point, you know, where are we going to be? We're not still going to be here on earth. We're going to be up in, with Jesus. We're going to be, be in heaven. And so if Jesus had to die, so do we. And that's part of suffering. That's part of pain. We know that there's other pain that's going to happen in our life. We know that when we choose God over the earth, that that's going to bring sometimes some hardships in our life and relationships when we deny people because we need to be with God. A simple example. You're here at Mass on a Sunday morning at 8 a.m. How beautiful that is. But someone may have called you and said, do you want to get breakfast at 8.30 today? And you said, how about 9.30, right? Why? Because, well, you want to be at Mass. You want to choose the, the Lord. And that may have offended that person. They may even said, well, then I just can't have breakfast with you choosing God over me. And your answer should be, yes, I am. I am choosing God over you. Because God is the one going to give me eternal life. We must deny ourselves. We must deny earthly pleasures sometimes so we may have this life with God. But when we live this way, we're going to be able to live in this freedom. We're going to be able to save our life eternally with the Lord. And so today, we come before the Heavenly Father and we say, Lord, help me. Help me to deny myself when the temptation is so strong. Help me to take up the cross that you have given me and help me to follow you, because in doing so, what I am gaining is so much more than an earthly life. I am gaining eternal life with you.